Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. This is part B. Now if we put an emphasis on laws and policy and and movements and and cultural issues and whatever on euthanasia, that's killing off your mom and dad when they're just not really that effective anymore in their day-to-day living. Why sit around every day watching the television and I have to stop there every day and see how they're doing and see if they need food. It's annoying to take care of old folks. How many of you could actually send me a text and say, you changed the diaper of your mother this morning? Because you'll get my attention. How many of you could text me today and say that you bathed your father in the tub? You had to dry your father. You had to remind him what your name was. That's when you would get my attention. And you would get my respect. But see, there was this phase we went through in culture where we built these nursing homes. This nursing home was the last stop, so to speak, because us yuppies wanted to get out there and form a very fast-paced business lifestyle or professional lifestyle, and we didn't have time to take care of our parents, let alone fulfill the requirement of bringing your parents with you everywhere you go. Hebrew. You see, it would rearrange the entire structure of modern living if someone had to stay home and take care of their parents. Everything in the Hebrew guidelines and customs of family life are gone in our society today because someone refused to stay home. Then we went through this phase where mama went out and became the superstar worker and dad became a house mom, whatever that is. And now we're entering into this phase where the millennial kids that have grown up, they just don't want to engage at all. So they're pushing for euthanasia. Now, those of you who have done any studies, cross-cultural studies, you'll understand that euthanasia is extremely popular in Europe. And those of you who have any historical understanding of China, they don't call it euthanasia. They just do it. They've been slaughtering kids for hundreds and 
hundreds of years. Now they have a law of a 2.1, or I think it's one point something now, how many children they will allow you to have. They are known for literally killing off the women. And now they have a huge cross-cultural issue that they are facing today, and that is that what it boiled down to in this particular generation is that the men didn't have any women. And the gay movement is sweeping China. You see, you don't need policy to kill your parents. Some governments and societies just have been doing it for a very long time. Whereas the friendly governments, like our government, we use policy to do this. And I thank God for our present president and other politicians that truly and honestly are trying to reverse some of these decisions because they understand what I'm sharing with you tonight. Euthanasia will be the very last beginning and end. It'll be the very last thing that God is going to tolerate in humanity. You touch those gray-haired old people and the end times will be upon us. I believe that. You mess with the gray hair, something happens to culture, to church, to nation. Something happens. So it's popular in Europe and many other countries, but America, oh, we're still calling it different things like assisted suicide. Really? You see, that's how you move something into society before it's a policy, is put a burden on the people who have to do all the care for these idiots called old people. They are great people, saved or not. They are great people. There's a huge investment in their lives, and that investment is supposed to be handed to you. So the outward respect due to old age is being revealed to us here with the immediate connection with the fear of God. The word honor in this passage is hadar, meaning to show favor. This gives us a direct connection to how we can maintain personal favor with the Lord. If children do not show proper fear and favor toward their parents, the conclusive evidence being stated here is the child will have no fear of God himself. And those that don't fear God are confessing they do not have his indwelling. There is no way you are ever going to convince me you have the indwelling life of Christ with this level of dishonor. The two do not go together. If you come into my office and you say, I really feel guilty about something, Pastor. Okay. What do you feel guilty about? 
Well, I went to uh, a satanic covenant group and I did a blood ritual. I drank some of the blood and did some of the indecent acts. I really feel bad as an indwelt believer for doing that. That's just stupid. There's no other way to define that. They're calling themselves an indwell believer, but yet they are confessing they went to a satanic ritual gathering and they participated in Satan's sacrifices. The two don't go together. That's what this is saying. Rebellion and stubbornness and resistance against gray-haired old man and saying you're an indwell believer, they don't go together. 602-292-2982. So Psalms 4.2 says this, O sons of men, how long will my honor be a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Good question, Lord. I don't think any of us heard that, Lord, but good question. See, everything we've talked about in that list of six questions is just pure deception. And in the Hebrew, you just are supposed to hunt for one Little thing. Rebellion. It's all you're supposed to hunt for. And you're guilty of all crimes. See, if you commit one sin, you've committed them all. It doesn't matter. Guess what that first sin is? Rebellion. Detachment from the Father. It's that simple to God. So you commit one sin, you've committed them all. So you go ahead and add to the list of six if you desire to do that now. What does it mean to be a people of conspiracy? Why do we use the term conspiracy? One, it's a good word. Two, it's biblical. People of conspiracy are actually people who join another individual who are actively practicing sorcery. That's conspiracy. Here's how it works. The sons of men in the Hebrew means great men. The leaders of Israel, those who were in the conspiracy with Aslam, 2 Samuel 15, 12. These men were the kings and princes of the earth and the rulers of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the chief priests and elders who were literally enemies of Christ and such, became the persecutors of the first indwell Christians. The consequences of the men of Ashlam that chose to dishonor David was passed down through the generations, ending up dishonoring Jesus. You literally can track their names. If you're a rebellious person and stubborn and you treat your kids nice and gently and sweet, this sin that you have will not escape them. It's generational. 
This passage is proof of the power of dishonor and how dishonor is cemented in the generations. Satan needs dishonor to overlap generation upon generation in order to form a full-on generation of rebellion. Detachment from the Father. And that'll be done by becoming a Jesus hater. You see, they can't overtly come out and say, I'm a Jesus hater. Because even saying that to a Christ follower, it's kind of like, oh, that's just too weird. I'll tell you what. Let's form a new Jesus. Now, I came out of the 70s. I was a Jesus freak. We formed a new Jesus. He was a pot-smoking, drug-dealing, hippie-loving Jesus. We literally believed that pot-smoking was a natural, normal, neutral activity that Jesus himself would join us in. Now that movement's back, except for this millennial Jesus is heavily soaked in theology. So that's what they did. They formed a new kind of Jesus, so they needed a new kind of church. Well, a new kind of church needs a new kind of society. And a new kind of society needs a new kind of government. And a new kind of government's going to need a new kind of leader. Welcome, Antichrist. You are knocking at our door. We have a problem when rebellion unifies. Sociologists and pastors alike have found the millennial generation to be the most predominant generation to date to display a unified approach to rebellion and dishonor, particularly in the arena of parental guidance. When rebellion is individualistic, it's easier to lead that person to repentance. But when rebellion is joined with a culture with others, something very serious happens to that culture. It becomes a game changer, a complete different way of the world functioning. Once this happens, the entire generation becomes unapproachable, unteachable, and cemented in their vain philosophies. I love Colossians 2.8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. When I first was gathering research for my book, The Father, and of course the second title is The Authority of the Trinity. Now if this new publisher is kind of doing this review, tries to mess with my title, they're going to be messing with me big time because this has to be in place. The Father... Authority of the Trinity and refuting a new kind of Christianity. That's what I'm tackling.
A complete generation who has adopted vain philosophies and traditions of men to where they're quoting Facebook postings more than they are the Word of God. They can quote friends, but if you ask them on the spot to quote for you a Bible verse, most cannot do it. This is the culture that we are faced with. So millennials in their vain philosophies create this fiery war that goes on between the traditional parent figures and the millennial generation. So we presently live in a generation that is held captive through vain philosophies and doctrinally empty deceptions, fully following the traditions of peers, according to the kindergarten level of worldly ideas, there are children who never grew up. Now, I don't know if you think this is strange or not, but when I look around and I see 30, 40-year-old men playing video games, I can successfully say that I probably played five video games my entire life. Now, I knew there was something wrong, but I couldn't really put my hands on it, so to speak. But I knew there was something wrong. There was spiritually something that God was warning me of that was going to happen through these video games. They're very addictive. One of those games I did get sucked into, get this story. In counseling in Colorado Springs one session, there was a father I was dealing with who he himself was addicted to video games. He had 96 cartridges. Now, I finally got him to the point of being willing to give them up. So he brings in his Nintendo machine. He brings in all of his CDs. Some were so evil, he threw them away. He did not want to bring those in. He puts them on my desk. And guess what I do with them? I burn them. Wrong. I take them home. I hook up the Nintendo to my television. And what happened from there, Jane? Steve and Abby got addicted. And that was my crisis of belief. And I realized this stuff sucks you in and holds you. So what if little Nintendo turned into a little demon? And a little demon turned into this bloody warfare. And they kept adding and adding and adding. And now we see these six-year-olds with their little game tools in their hands, and there's demons fighting on the screen. And it's not bothering them at all. So you see, Satan doesn't need textbooks to teach you his demonic doctrines. He needs a video game. He needs movies, books, postings on the internet. Do you know that people actually believe what's on the internet as absolute? I will grab pieces of information like that, but I have to go dog that thing down for an hour to two hours to find out if it's the truth. 
You see, it is the information highway that the enemy can use to bring out his vain philosophies. So to have this millennial generation trapped by these kindergarten type of games and these elementary types of thinking and believing, the enemy is going to become more and more successful the closer he gets to his reigning period, which as you probably already know is only seven years worth. So Proverbs 3.35 says, For the wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. There is certain things biblically that do stand in the face of leaders. Some are hypersensitive about how they look. Some are hypersensitive about their style of preaching or teaching. Some are hypersensitive about the cars they drive. You know the list. But there's others like me that are hypersensitive about honor. And the reason why I'm hypersensitive about honor is because when dishonor is being displayed, you have lost the power to help transform that human life. It's gone. It's done. It's finished. Honor is like a golden key that is being given to us, put in our hands. It comes with many promises. To have dishonor says, I not only don't have the key, not only do you have, not have access to me, this puts the leader, and those of you who are listening, who are in this position, I hear from many of you, who war with these kinds of issues of dishonor, hang tight. It's a one-sided story. Any dishonor preacher, teacher, man or woman of God that is being displayed to you, there's a calculator running. It will be held against those who are dishonoring you. You shouldn't find pleasure in that. You should find grief in it. Because dishonor never inherits anything from God. Inheritance comes through honor. So a wise man cannot inherit honor unless he is under one of honor. It is an inherited commodity. This is the transformation I went through with Dr. Solomon. He himself would probably tell you today how faithful and loyal that I am to him I don't care if he has to wear diapers or not. If I was there, I would change him. I know what this man likes to drink. I know his favorite kind of candy. I know his favorite thing to do. I know his favorite topic to talk about. And I'll get him ramped up to talk about it on purpose. Because there's life in his topics that he was assigned to to get out to the entire world. I want him to die preaching that and teaching it, even if I've heard it one or two times before. I will die honoring Dr. Charles Solomon. If I die before him or die after, it matters not. So I have been talked to by many leaders, them talking about 
my undying support of Dr. Solomon. I'll answer that in the podcast right now. It's really simple. He's my dad. He is my father. There is no difference between him and my natural father. There is none. So that is the answer. The father. And I know as I respect and honor him that God himself as the father is receiving his due honor. Thank you, Dr. Solomon, for being a faithful father to me. The wise are not those who are good at leadership, offer good counsel, nor those who are specialists in Christianity or religion. But they are a people that have sat or sit under the Lord. Listening well, opening their hearts to the one who is first in wisdom. Kingdom comes from the word wisdom. In the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the Latin, and English. We have kingdoms because of wisdom. We have infrastructure in discipleship because of wisdom. We have infrastructure in the church because of wisdom. We have infrastructure in our nation because of wisdom. When you take the infrastructure out, you have a bowl of jello. You cannot make a path through that person's life anymore. Every time you think you're getting someplace, the jello implodes in around that pathway and it's gone. Satan knows that I just told you the truth. So that is his goal, is to create an entire society, culture, worldwide, that as the true indwelt preachers and teachers of the gospel try to make a pathway through a person's life, it just implodes around them. And they forget it before they go to bed that night. I appreciate those of you who send me a text the following day after a preaching, and you just give me this little summarize of what God told you, what God showed you. I appreciate those podcast listeners who send a text or make a phone call, because it's evidence that you're moving it forward. And you're not keeping it in your closet. I know what happens to closet people. And so do you. It says in James, the passage we talked about you, and I want to read what it said in the chapter before, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his own good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. 
This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. That means educationally. Natural. Eh, common sense. And demonic. Any other kind of wisdom that does not flow out of a human body that is coming from the mind of Christ inside that human body is releasing demonic wisdom. There is no smart person on this earth who is smarter than the wisdom of the living God. Either Christ releases his Father's wisdom through you or it is demonic wisdom. 602-292-2982 at James 3, verses 13 through 16. Here's our identity matter statement. Got to get you guys out of here. We without a doubt live in a culture that is filled with people who have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogant, and certainly lie against the truth. I got a couple pretty decent friends. I've preached with them. I've been in counseling situations with them. And I get messages from them. They'll listen to a podcast. By the way, last week's kind of hit some charts. That was an awesome message. But I'll get a message from one of them going, Finney, I just don't get it. Where do you get that kind of passion or clarity or, you know, whatever? And they really mean well. And there's actually some preachers out there. I go, man, I wish I could preach like him. And God's like, really? All the investment I have put in you, you want to you wanna be like John? Really? So I'm constantly reprimanded by the Lord gently. At the same time, I have to reprimand some of my friends saying, the spirit of the living God flows out of every vessel differently. And there's those I admire, wondering if I'll ever get to their level. And there's those I don't admire at all, but it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not speaking through them. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And how he selects to use us. So jealousy is a killer. At every turn, the millennial generation, we find a people who shout above the wisdom of their parents, pastors, and civic leaders. Proclaiming things that are not only heresy, but obstinate in their own stupidity. Being a people who are so arrogant, they cannot see their self-proclaimed wisdom has been handed down to them by Satan himself. Ouch. Therefore, we have a culture that is filled with disorder and every evil thing. You know, they say it doesn't get any better than that. When I study this passage, and I have many times, That phrase comes into my mind. You know, Steve, it doesn't get any worse than this. 
Demonic wisdom requires a demonic kingdom. Wisdom from on high requires a heavenly kingdom. And those who are handed wisdom and they sound right, they sound good, they sound smart, they sound like everything's lining up. And in reality, it's satanic, demonic wisdom being handed this person like they're a medium. You know, Steve? Doesn't get any worse than this. The rest are just colorful details. You might want to text me at 602-292-2982 and I'd love to dialogue with you. I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about how smart you are. I really would. But at the same time, I'd like to reveal to you exactly how powerful the mind of Christ is, not how smart he is. I know Jesus was very unbecoming to look at. And by the way, even in the Greek, that means ugly, hard to cast your eyes upon. He was so ugly. I got a feeling he didn't sound too smart compared to the Sanhedrins. He just said it like it was. If you've been touched in any way, or maybe you have some questions, maybe you're even questioning your salvation, I would encourage you to get to your pastor or a pastor that knows how to lead someone to Christ, that actually knows how and what the difference is between Christ following and being indwelt by him. I'm very thankful you took the time to listen to this podcast. We will continue with our series on, oh my God, my child is a millennialist. Very soon we're going to start going through the parental dictionary. And I'm telling you what, I have sat back several times. Have I been working on the dictionary? And I just started to weep. Not of the sorrow of the millennialist, but how good that dictionary is. Because it's just the scriptures of what the Word of God says about mommies, daddies, grandpas, and grandmas. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.